This evening's reading is taken from John 10, verses 10 to 21. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall one flock and one and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So if I haven't properly introduced myself to you, let me give the fuller explanation. I I am the perfect, eternal, unique son of God. Um, I I really should mention this earlier on in my introductions. Uh, I uh, created the heavens and the earth together with my Father and the Holy Spirit. Obviously, I I probably should have said this earlier, shouldn't I? Uh, I sustain every atom and act in this world. I am the judge of the whole world. I'm the one bread of life, and without me, you go hungry. Right? I, I am the, the one shepherd of the sheep, and without me, you are lost. I'm the one light of the world. Without me, you walk in darkness. I am the resurrection and the life. Without me, you're just perishing. I am the one way to God. I'm the one truth about reality. I'm the one life that is truly life. And if you really want to know what God looks like, just keep looking right here, okay? Now, what do you want to do with my words at this point? I'll, I'll, st- I'll stop the conceit at this point, okay? <laughs> Before more than my microphone just blows. But uh, uh, as I say these words about my own identity, what kind of reaction are you having to me? It's not a mild one, is it? I mean, you, you think I'm joking, and I am, right? But if I was to say those words seriously, how would you respond to me? And yet Jesus makes all these claims in this book, John's Gospel. On every page of this book, Jesus makes a claim like that, that he's older than the universe, that he made heaven and earth, that he's the sustainer of all things, that he's the judge of all things, that he's the one bread and way and truth and life, that he's the one vine, he's the one good shepherd. Jesus says this on every page. And quite commonly, he says, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me which is an extraordinary thing to say, wouldn't you think? And yet people manage to have mild reactions to Jesus. Uh, Nobody who encountered Jesus in the flesh had a mild reaction to him. Did you notice what they said in this reading? In John chapter 10, verse 19, 
The Jews who heard the words of Jesus were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? If you're confronted by Jesus in the flesh, those really are your most natural options. You either think that he's demon-possessed or he's raving mad. And throughout Jesus' life, people either wanted to say, look, you are, you're either from heaven or you're from hell. (laughs) I have no earthly explanation for who you are. And if we're not really doing business with these claims about Jesus, we're not doing business with the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And so what I want to do is sort of introduce to you the real Jesus of the Bible, because I think he has a life-transforming power. Um, it's something that Neve has come to see and come to embrace for herself. And I want everyone in this room to see that Jesus really is the most extraordinary figure. You cannot have too large a view of Jesus. Every time I think I've got Jesus nailed, I am so totally wrong. And I read something more from the scriptures. And and I see just how cosmic, just how profound Jesus Christ really is. What we're going to do is we're going to have a look at the way that Jesus introduces himself in this key verse, verse 11 of John chapter 10. And what Jesus does here is he does what anybody does in a party, right? If, If we meet over a meal or in any kind of social situation, you've probably got a couple, of, a, couple, a couple of questions that you want to ask the other person. You want to ask, so who are you and what do you do? Isn't that the, the, the normal thing that you sort of say? I know you're supposed to be a lot more interesting than that. And if you were a color, what color would you be? And all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit more simple than that. I just ask these simple questions and perhaps you're the same. Who are you and what do you do? And the one verse that we're really going to zero in on It answers those two questions. Because you ask Jesus, who are you, Jesus? And he says, I am the good shepherd. You say, oh, that's very interesting. And what do you do? And Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what we're going to have a look at. And so let's let's dive in and, and think about who is Jesus according to this verse. And as soon as Jesus calls himself the good shepherd... He is making an extraordinary claim about himself. Remember, he's teaching other Jews who know the Old Testament scriptures like the back of their hands. And perhaps you know some of the Old Testament scriptures. Perhaps you know the book of Psalms, that old hymn book of the Old Testament church. And they used to sing these songs, 150 songs. And I would say the most famous of them all is the 23rd Psalm. Have you heard it before? The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Oh, that's interesting. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. It's the one that goes, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the kind of, it's the kind of psalm that's said at state occasions and at funerals. Uh, friends of mine actually got married, and that was, the, that was their passage, which, is, which gives an interesting impression of what they're expecting in marriage. And, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But Psalm 23 gave them solace for their, for their married life together. But uh, They're very happily married now. Don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. But how does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd. And if you were to read that in the Old Testament, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? It's, it's the divine name of God. 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's, it's the way of saying the maker of heaven and earth. So who is the good shepherd? Right. And he is the Lord. 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, okay? Jesus is maker of heaven and earth. This is just one of the many extraordinary claims that Jesus just makes. And it's almost casual, right? He, he's, almost, he's, he's in the process of teaching them some other truths about the sheep and some other truths about his father. But he just drops in, oh, and by the way, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's an extraordinary claim that Jesus is God come to earth. And I wonder how you react to that. Has somebody ever come to you and claimed to be the Son of God, let's say? Has anyone claimed to be the Son of God? I've actually met two people who've claimed to be the Son of God. And, and you won't be surprised to learn that it was on the psychiatric ward of, of a hospital. And those people were not in good places when they made those claims about themselves. One of the guys who told me he was the Son of God, he's, he's gone on to become a, a good friend of mine. And, and he was in the middle of a psychotic episode and things got out of hand and he started to have lots of grandiose thoughts about himself and one of the thoughts was he is the son of God and he broadcast that quite broadly across the, the ward and there was a, another patient on the ward who came up to him and said, oh, that's brilliant, it's great to finally meet you. Uh, I've got some questions about the Bible. Can you answer me this question about the book of Revelation? And my friend Mark said, actually, I, I haven't read the Bible. And the other guy said, haven't read the Bible? What kind of son of God? If you're the son of God, you really ought to read the Bible. And Mark thought, you're probably right. I probably should read the Bible. So he went back to his room and he started reading the Bible, the New Testament anyway. And, and as he worked his way through the Bible, he said to me later that he'd made the two most wonderful discoveries you can make. Number one, Jesus is the son of God. And number two, I'm not. Phew, right? <laughs> can you imagine the relief of discovering that the world is not really on your shoulders? And that, that was the way that he came to Christ. <laughs> but when somebody claims to be the Son of God, we don't respond mildly, do we? We, we say what people said in, in verse 19. We say he's demon-possessed or raving mad or, or something. You might know C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia books. He once made the claim that Jesus' claims about himself force us to extreme positions. Anyone who claims to be the son of gods, well, they're either mad or they're bad or they're God. You heard that argument before? Either they're mad, they're kind of lying to themselves about reality, or they're bad because they're lying to you about their identity. But if they're not lying to themselves, they're not mad, and if they're not lying to you, they're not bad, then I guess they're telling the truth. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. It forces us to a trilemma. Have you ever heard of a dilemma? Dilemma, you go one way or the other. He says it's a trilemma. You've got three options. Either Jesus is self-deceived, he's lying to himself, but he's lying to himself about such a foundational truth that really you would section him if you were around in the, in, the, in the day, if you thought that he was self-deceived to that degree, then, then you might section him. Or maybe you think he's lying to you. He's bad. Maybe he wants to get your credit card details. Maybe he wants to fleece you for money. Is that, is that who Jesus is? Do you, can you read through John's Gospel and conclude that Jesus is mad? I can't. I mean, this, this teaching has absolutely founded civilizations, okay? It's built the world that you live in. I don't think he's mad. And I don't think he's bad, because we're about to see that 
he gives his life for the world. That's not the actions of a, of a bad man. I don't think he's a madman. I don't think he's a bad man. So who is he? He's not lying to himself. He's not lying to you. He must be telling the truth. What do you make of that argument? You see, what, what I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to get your arm up behind your back so that you say, all oh, right, the force of logic, okay, fine, Jesus is Lord. Um, I don't think it would be a bad thing to conclude that Jesus is Lord. Do you? When you see the character of Jesus all throughout the Gospels, when, when you see the way he stoops and serves and suffers and bleeds and dies for others, when you see he is just love covered over in flesh, if he is what God is like, this is the best news in the world, wouldn't you say? I don't know what picture you have of God you know, when I grew up, I, I did. I, I just thought that God was like electricity. My view of God was almost entirely like my view of electricity. I didn't understand electricity or how it worked. I don't understand God or how he works. I knew that if you were clever, you could harness the power of electricity. and It could be useful in your life. And I thought the same about God. If you were clever enough, you could harness the power of God in your life. And I knew that if you got on the wrong side of electricity, zap. And with God, ditto. But that was my understanding of God. He's just, he's just this impersonal, distant power. Is that your vision of God? What if your vision of God is shaped by Jesus? What if Jesus reveals to you what God is really like? Wouldn't that be amazing? What if it's really true that when Jesus says, if you want to know what God looks like, keep looking here. You know, Jesus does that in... John's Gospel, in just a couple of pages in John's Gospel, he, he tells people, whoever sees me is seeing the one who sent me. And you know the very next thing he does? He stoops to his disciples' feet and he washes their filthy feet, one after the other. It was the slave's job. He's basically saying, you want to know what God's like? Watch. And down he stoops, down he serves. And of course, the very next day, he's dying on that cross to stoop and serve, to cleanse us by his death on the cross. What if God is like that? Is that a God that you can believe in? Lord Byron once said, if God is not like Jesus Christ, he ought to be. I think that's a very biblical notion, actually. He just needs to finish the thought. If God's not like Jesus, he ought to be. But good news, the God who is really there, he is revealed in Jesus as the God of love. Isn't that good news? Jesus is the Lord. He is the Son of God. So we go to the party and we ask Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. There are lots of shepherds who want to lead you in life. I'm the good one. The one who in verse 10 has come not to steal or kill or destroy, but to give you life to the full. I am a fountain of life. That's who Jesus is. He is the Son of the Father, full of the Holy Spirit. The biblical vision for God is of this fountain of life, and light, and love. And Jesus is the expression of that fountain out into the world. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the Good Shepherd. I'm the Lord. I'm the fountain of life. That's good news. But then we've got a second question, haven't we? Who are you? I'm the good shepherd. Okay, Jesus. You might want to, you might, you might want to ask this question of Jesus. All right, you're, you're God then. All right, prove it. 
And that's where Jesus goes on to the second half of the verse. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is really extraordinary. It's basically Jesus saying, hey, guess what? I'm God and I'll prove it to you. Watch me die. Is that a surprising proof of deity? It's a very surprising proof of deity, isn't it? Like what, what would you expect to be the proof that Jesus is indeed the fountain of all life and reality? What, what would be proof that Jesus is God? Maybe you think that Jesus should get the mountaintops to blow their tops and become volcanoes. Or maybe you think he should rearrange the stars in the sky or, or make donkeys tap dance and sing show, show tunes. Just some kind of parlor trick. Should he just do a Gandalf sort of magic fireworks display? What is it that's going to display that Jesus really is the Lord? It's very surprising. He doesn't do any of the parlor tricks. He says, I'll prove to you that I'm God. Watch me die. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus seems to think that a very fitting thing for God to do would be to lay down his life. Isn't that a stunning thought? And yet, if God is a fountain of life, where do you see the fountain expressed? Where do you see a fountain expressed? You see the fountain most fully when you see it poured out. And where do you see God most fully? You see God most fully when you see him poured out with every drop of his blood. You know, you've never seen anything more divine than Jesus on that cross. It's a very surprising truth. It's the deepest truth I know, though. You've never seen anything more divine than the Lord of all with his arms wide open to the world, bleeding even for his enemies. That's what it looks like to be God. You know, I once gave a talk on that in Eastbourne where I'm from, I was speaking at a different church on the topic. What does it look like when God shows up? And uh, the office got in touch during the week, and they said, what's the title of your sermon? And I said, it's going to be, what does it look like when God shows up? And they said, oh, thank you very much. They put the phone down. I didn't think anything more of it. And then during the week, different members of that church said, Glenn, have you seen the poster outside the church that you're going to preach at? I said, no. Is it it good? They said, it's bold, they said. (laughs) And stupidly, I thought, well, bold is good. (laughs) Might draw some attention. That's great. So I don't think anything more of it until Sunday morning when I show up at the church and there's a massive billboard outside the church with the lines, what does it look like when God shows up? And a picture of me beside it. (laughs) (laughs) What does it look like when God shows up? This? No. That would be a profound disappointment for people. But here's what the Bible says. What does it look like when God shows up? It looks like Jesus bleeding for the world. Is that your picture of God? I don't know what your picture of God is. But is this a God that you can believe in? Is this a God that you can follow? Because as Jesus calls himself the shepherd, he's implying something about you and me. What's he implying? If he's the shepherd, then we are the sheep. Okay. It's not the most flattering likeness, is it? 
Like, think of all the things that Jesus could liken us to. You know, you're like eagles soaring, or you're like lions proud and kings of the jungle. He doesn't call us that. He calls us sheep. And sheep are morons, aren't they? Total morons. I, I once preached on sheep in my home church in Eastbourne. We've got a farmer um, in, our, in, in our congregation. And at the end of uh, the church service, he came back and, and he said to me, actually, sheep are not stupid, Glenn. Sheep are ingenious at discovering ways of killing themselves. <laughs> and he told me all these stories about the ways in which sheep have nearly killed themselves, except that Farmer Brown somehow snatched them from their own stupidity. This is what sheep are like, and this is what we are like. We are spiritually stupid. In the Old Testament, there's a line. It, it says, we're all like sheep going astray. Each of us turn to our own way. As we think this weekend about freedom, it's interesting. We think that's the definition of freedom, don't we? We think, I'm free to go my own way, right? But what if you and I have a nature? And what if the world has a nature? And what if to go against the grain of reality means getting splinters? Then actually just going our own way is not freedom. It's stupidity. It's being a sheep, we're all like sheep. We're all going our own way. Each of us turn to our own way, right? But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. So he calls himself a shepherd, but in a sense, he's also calling himself a lamb. Because in these verses, he's describing the way that he will die for us. And for any Jewish listener to Jesus, they would instantly think of the temple. They would instantly think of the sacrificial system. If you were a Jew back in the day and, and you had been spiritually stupid, if you'd wandered off from God's path, if you'd committed sin, then what would you do? You would come to the temple and you would bring a sacrificial animal, let's say a lamb, and you would join the queue with all the other sinners. And when you got to the front of the queue, the priest would tell you to lay your hands on the head of the lamb, to transfer your sin to this substitute and the idea was, was clear. My spiritual stupidity is costly. To go against the grain of reality means getting splinters. To walk away from the one who is a fountain of life must mean death. It must. To walk away from God must mean death. It must. And yet, here in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, someone else could die in your place. Flossy the sheep. Poor Flossie. You bring Flossie to the front of the queue. You lay your hands on the sheep's head. And it's this sense of you transferring your sin onto the substitute. You are now so identified with Flossie that Flossie carries your sins. And then Flossie gets it in the neck. And the blood that pours down that altar is the death that you and I deserve. That was the lesson that was being taught to every Old Testament worshiper. To walk away from life means death. But there's a substitute that's been given who can die in your place. Now, no animal in the Old Testament can actually carry your sin. Animal blood cannot pay for your wrongdoing. But every single lamb that was killed in the Old Testament was pointing forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
On page one of John's gospel, that's how Jesus is introduced. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the substitute. He's the one who is going to bear the weight of your sin. Our sin deserves death. He's going to die it for you. So step forward, Jesus. And now imagine his death according to the Old Testament temple. Imagine it now that you're in the Old Testament temple and and you're bringing a lamb to the temple because you recognize that you've gone astray. You recognize that you've messed up in life. You recognize that you've been spiritually moronic. And so you bring the substitute with you to the temple. But then from the inner sanctum, right at the heart of the temple, you hear a booming voice and it just says, Get out! And all the priests hitch up their robes and run a mile. And so you pick up Flossie and and you run to a safe distance. And then imagine coming out from the center of that temple. The Lord himself. He steps down off his throne. He comes to the altar. He lays down on the altar. A priest is called forth with a trembling hand. And he is commanded to put the knife to the neck of the Lord. And the Lord is slain, and his blood runs down the altar, bringing you freedom. You walk away from that temple free and forgiven because the substitute has come. The Lord has laid down his life for you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I'm the good shepherd who becomes your lamb. I'm the Lord who pours out his life for you. And what does that mean for us? There's a story back in the 19th century of uh, Charles Simeon. He was a great preacher, spent most of his life in Cambridge preaching there. He came to faith when he learnt about the Lord, his Lamb. And he was told by a preacher when he was uh, a young man that if he had sins, he should do what the Old Testament worshippers did but do it to Jesus. And he was told to lay your hands on the sacred head of Jesus. Confess your sins to him. Let him carry them. Let him pay for them. And so Charles Simeons wrote, he wrote about how he laid his, his hands on the sacred head of Jesus, as it were, confessing his sins. And he let Jesus carry them all. That's the Christian life, really. It's looking to Jesus and seeing you are the Lord and you are the Lamb. And if any of you want to walk in the footsteps that Neve has trod, if any of you want to follow in that way of being a Christian, I guess it takes two realizations. You need to recognize who is Jesus? He is the Lord. He's the good shepherd. He's the one full of life. He's a fountain. And to reject him means death. To reject him is spiritual stupidity. He is that fountain of life. Don't wander into the desert. Come to him as Lord. Call Jesus Lord and call him Lamb. Because he's your Lamb. Dying on that cross. Bearing the weight of your sin. That's what love does, isn't it? Love bears the cost for the beloved. If your beloved is in debt, maybe you love them enough to pay off their debts. 
what does the Lord Jesus do? He comes into our place and pays off all our spiritual debts. He rises up again and he says, Can I be your Lord? Can I be your Lamb? I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a second. And it's, it's a prayer that's appropriate for you if you want to make a response, perhaps even for the first time, to Jesus Christ. It's just a very simple prayer. It comes right out of this verse and it just says, Jesus, you're the good shepherd. I want to follow you. And it says, Jesus, you laid down your life. Thank you for the cross. I confess my sins to you. Please be my lamb. It's that kind, of, that kind of prayer. And it would be appropriate for you if you've been considering Jesus and you've started to think, I don't think he's mad. I don't think he's bad. I think he's Lord. And I want to follow him. Should we bow our heads and let me leave a space for you to pray to him? I'll lead you in some words. The words are not magic. You can make these words your own in your heart as you talk to Jesus. But these are the sorts of words that you might want to say to him if you want to respond to the good shepherd. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd, and so often I am a foolish lamb. I want to follow you. Lord Jesus, you lay down your life. You have laid down your life on that cross. And therefore I bring to you my sins. I lay them on your head. And I say, please be my lamb. Carry my sins away. And lead me through this life and into your eternal future. Amen. If you've prayed a prayer um, like that, uh, Christianity is a team sport. Don't do things by yourself. Uh, Do tell somebody that you've uh, come with, or uh, tell myself, or Kev. And uh, one of the things we'd love to do is to sign you up for an Exploring Jesus course. This would be a great way to take your first few steps with Jesus. It's held on three Wednesdays starting on the 30th of June and you'll have a look at this John's Gospel and figure out who is Jesus and how can I follow him. And uh, here's another way that you can kind of sign up for that. There's a response card. You can tick it and say, I enjoyed coming today. You can say, please get in touch with me. And you can say, please sign me up for Exploring Jesus. I've put my contact details below. It's just a a way of taking those first few steps with Jesus. And if you haven't thought that uh, tonight is the night to do that with Jesus, uh, that's fine. But these these courses are a great place where you can uh, consider for yourself whether that step might be right for you. I really heartily endorse that to you. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll hand back to Kev.